Good to see you. Thank you for being here. We've been dealing with prayer these uh, weeks, and today is uh, getting to the uh, what we refer to as the Lord's Prayer. So I'm going to uh, talk real fast if you'll listen real fast, okay? A lot of times when we think about prayer, we think about the aspects of when we're on our knees and we're talking to the Lord, and the Holy Spirit really gets hold of our hearts. We know it's time we need to confess some things. Y'all don't ever confess. We may, might ought to continue this study indefinitely uh, if, if, if that's the case. Not much like the uh, elder Catholic priest who had just reached the age to where he just could not continue to uh, minister, uh, didn't have the energy and so finally he wrote the seminary and said, you need to send someone down to replace me. And a few days later, a young man arrived, just graduated seminary, said they sent me down to spend some time and see if this was a suitable place. And he said, well, I'm glad you're here. said, it's time for confessions. And uh, said, why don't we go on over to the confessional and uh, I'll just sit in with you and we'll just see how it goes. So they went over, everything proceeded as uh, scheduled as it was supposed to, and they came back over and were sitting there having a cup of coffee. The young priest looked over at the retiring priest and said, well, Father, how would I do? He said, well, I don't know what they're teaching you all at seminary, but you need to learn some words like repentance, reconciliation, restitution, confession. You just can't sit over there on the other side when folks confess their sins and say, golly, <laughs> now, we got a small closet, <laughs> but that's the way sometimes we look at situations and the prayers. And so today we're going to talk about the prayer that God always answers. If you ever had all of your prayers answered, if you did, I need to talk to you. And if not, we're going to look at the prayer that God always answers. Some time ago, one of our missionaries received a letter from a little girl in one of the Sunday school classes back in the States, and they were writing to foreign missionaries to let them know that as part of their Sunday school, they were praying for them. So he received this letter, Dear Reverend Smith, we're praying for you. We're not expecting an answer. Is that the way our prayer life is? Does that not sometimes relate directly? In fact, the little girl summed it up. The prayer life of many Christians are, we're not expecting an answer. You see, the truth is that most of us are not surprised when our prayers go unanswered. We're surprised when they're answered. That's the way... It ought to be the normal thing of life, isn't it, as Christians? He says, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. So what's the problem? What's the problem? If I go home and I walk into one of the rooms and flip the switch, I'm expecting a light to come on. It's when it doesn't come on that I become concerned. Yet prayer is one of the biggest mysteries of the Christian faith. There are times when we have a succession of answered prayers and we think, I finally arrived, I'm here, and then it just kind of stops. 
When you look at that and the long stretches that it seems that we do not have those answers, it's no wonder that the, no wonder that the disciples said to Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray. And as part of the Summer on the Mount, as Matthew recorded it, Jesus taught the disciples some things about prayer. He gave them a pattern prayer. He did not give them a prayer that was to be prayed repetitiously. That would go against his statement of repetitious words just being prayed over and over again. But in this prayer that Jesus gives to his disciples in Matthew chapter 6, he's teaching us a great deal about who he is and our approach to prayer. Because Jesus knew the spiritual conditions of the disciples and he gave specific content of prayer that God will always answer. Christ's purpose was not to give us a mechanical form of praying, but to give us approach, an approach to prayer that covers every principle of our lives and contains everything that we'd ever want to talk to God about. Concisely placed, concisely put, And so we're simply, when we're praying, expanding the principles of the model prayer that Jesus gave to his disciples. When we begin to look at this prayer, Jesus says, this is the way to pray. Every prayer built around these specific uh, specifications will be answered. That's what he says. And so let's look at it. There are basically four ingredients that emerge from these verses about prayer. So we we need, well, let's look at the negative side of it first. First of all, Jesus says how not to pray. He says in chapter 6, Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. When therefore you give alms, you bring an offering, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be honored by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. But when you give alms, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your Father who has seen in secret will repay you. How not to pray? Jesus says two of the most common dangers in prayer is praying like a hypocrite and praying like a heathen. And he gives us examples. The hypocrite prays with the wrong motive. And the heathen prays in the wrong manner. The wrong motive and the wrong manner gives them the same results They have their reward at that moment. The hypocrite converts the purpose of prayer to one's recognition rather than talking to the Father. The heathen totally misunderstands the nature of prayer. They think by an array of words, they're ultimately going to get God's attention. The hypocrite's mistake is made deliberately. Deliberately. The heathen's mistake is made ignorantly. So Jesus says in verses 5 and 6, don't pray like the hypocrites. 
Something of the hypocrite and something of the heathen is hiding in every one of us. Now, I didn't call you hypocrites and heathens. But there's something hypocritical and something of the nature of a heathen that hides in every one of us. You see, sometimes there's a temptation when we get an invitation to pray is to impress people. Have you ever been in a meeting, cottage prayer service, a church prayer meeting, associational meeting, state convention, SBC meeting, and someone rather notable is called on to pray, and you can tell before they've gotten to the end of the first sentence, they're wanting to impress you. Oh, isn't that lovely? And you just sit there. You know, they just, they're, they're so pious, righteousness drips from their fingers. I hope I'm not speaking to anyone like that this morning. If you are, we're going to pray for you. But that's what he says. The temptation to use prayer as an impressor is, is deep within the... Every, see, sometimes we tend to rush into prayer without thought or preparation. And it's usually evidence because we think God's going to be persuaded by my loud or by my long praying. That's the heathen with us. So these two eras choke off the real meaning of prayer and they should and must be avoided if we're going to be successful in reaching heaven's throne. In fact, the negative teaching is you're not to pray like the hypocrites. They just like to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so folks may see them. The reason is they've got their reward because they've been seen. Hello? Nothing going to come from God. They weren't praying to him. They were praying to the people. The positive teaching here is when you pray, go into a secret place, a quiet place, an inner room, a closet, shut the door, pray to your father in private, in secret, the Bible says, and your father who sees in secret will repay you. Suddenly you'll get a blessing and the folks will say, well, why are they being blessed? It's because... The positive side of their praying has been to the Father, and the Father is responding to the request of a faithful child. Don't pray like the heathen. Don't use meaningless repetition. Our dear heavenly Father. Is that the way you open your prayer every time you pray? There was a preacher back home. I never will forget Brother Cleghorn. Foghorn, Cleghorn. You could spot him coming down the road. He wore his World War II, I mean World War I uniform all the time. Even in World War II, he didn't get a new uniform. But he would come down the road singing the hymns and preaching. And when he got in church, I'd never forget. Oh, dear heavenly Father. And all us teenagers would giggle, just like you all did. And that's okay. But he got his recognition in response to the approach. You see, we're not to pray that way, like the heathen or the hypocritical. We're to pray, the Bible says, our Father who art in heaven. 
hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. In other words, here is how to pray. Here are the four ingredients of the prayer that God always answers. First of all, there has to be sincerity. We have to be sincere. Verse 5 says, in, in condemning public, is not condemning public praying, but he's condemning to be seen by men. The sobering truth is the highest and holiest act of man is prayer. Surely when we get into that closet or that inner sanctum of being alone, we're sincere with the Lord. We think sometimes we're even safe from sin, but suddenly impure thoughts or something that would separate us from the presence of the Lord, we just can't escape the penetrating lure and the perverting power of sin. So we have to make sure that our holiest moments become those occasions of being with the Lord and sin is shut out. We don't want our praying to become hypocrisy or making us to have a spiritual status symbol. When we play the hypocrite, we're using prayer to impress someone else. Uh, I remember being in some meetings, uh, various places. I won't tell you where because you may have been there too. But I remember one fellow was politically known and politically recognized or publicly known and recognized for the beauty of his prayers. His vocabulary was really, really something. And when he stood to pray, it was, you know, it was just almost too much for us mortals to listen to. Shakespeare would have loved it. I'm not so sure how much the Lord did. But Shakespeare would have loved him because of the strength of his vocabulary. And when he began to pray, he would take on a sinonasal sound, like everything was going up through here. And this was supposed to make him much more spiritual. Now, doesn't that sound like it'd be pleasing to the Lord? Oh, my goodness. I wanted to take him a handkerchief and say, blow your nose. (laughs) You know, uh, he became a performer, not a prayer. He used the moment to make a public presentation, not talk to the Father. You see, when we pray, we're not to draw attention to ourselves. In fact, if we do, we're praying to men, not to the Lord. We're looking for their applause, not an answer to our prayer. Now, the perversion of prayer can be very subtle. You you, you know, you have to be real conscious of the fact that people are watching your life. People are watching you. They're listening to you. One of the evangelist that we had the privilege to know was telling about an experience when he was a thousand miles from home leading a conference staying in a hotel meals in the dining room at the hotel and he said he got up and went to breakfast got a table that was for two because it was just him and he was over against the wall kind of out of the way and when his food came he took the time to bow his head and say grace over his food 
And about the time he finished, this couple walked to him, walked up to him, called him by name. And he said, I don't believe I know you. They said, well, we know you. We've heard you preach in several places across the country. And when you came in and sat down, my wife said, that's who you were. I wasn't sure. But I told her, if he bows his head and says a prayer over his food, that'll be him. And he said, I did. And they recognized me, and they were right. But he said, when they left, I began to think. Now, when I eat alone in a restaurant, am I really offering a sincere prayer over my food because I'm truly thankful for it or because somebody may be watching me? So, we need to do it. You see, when your spiritual reputation is online or at stake, a low motive may be better than no motive. Go ahead and pray. Go ahead and pray. You never know when people are watching. Even our private prayers can be afflicted with something of this problem. You see, our spiritual activities are on physical display as well. When people see us in public and see how we're living out our prayer lives, we need to make sure that as we have learned the secret of praying, that it is not tempting people to call attention to us, but to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You see, we, we must be, I think, more completely sincere when we're in the presence of the Lord and approaching His throne probably than any other time. Don't you think the Lord recognizes a sham? This means yes. Yes, most definitely. You see, nothing is as difficult to, to, to subdue as impure thoughts and motives. They're our worst enemy. So the answer to our sincerity lies in the second ingredient, and that's the ingredient of secrecy. Jesus said, you don't go to the street corners, and you don't stand up in the temple, and you don't use loud words. You go to where you're alone, in the secret place, to talk to me. And so to, to guard against being seen by men when you pray. Jesus is not saying that we ought not to ever pray in public. He's not saying that at all. But he's saying the secrecy of which we pray is, is more than just physical. In other words, there is that clamping on to the association that we can have with the Holy Spirit and that important presence of the Lord practiced by the Lord Jesus Christ. But let me tell you this. Be careful if you pray in public and you don't back it up by praying in private. Because if there's no praying in private and you're praying in public, you're a hypocrite. And the Lord says we're not to be hypocritical. We're to be faithful in our private prayer lives so that our public prayers are more than just show. The secret praying actually can be done in public if before you pray you ask in your spirit that the Holy Spirit would lead you and you pray to your Father, not to the people who are assembled. Also something about the secrecy of prayer will help you from using prayer to preach to people. You ever been in one of those situations where you are having family prayer and you preach to your family. Please help Susie clean up her room, Lord. 
please tell Johnny that I can't take him to the zoo tomorrow. You know, we, we use it, you know. Uh, uh, please help Bill to remember he's got to cut the grass tomorrow. Uh, secret praying is praying to the Father, so we must concentrate on his, pray, on his presence. So sincerity and secrecy in the presence of the Lord. So when we're more conscious of God's presence than the presence of other people, we've shut out the world and we're in that moment. We're in that moment. So Jesus says, I want you to also, when you pray, come to understand not only the moments of being there in the secrecy, but simplicity has a great deal to do with it. Remember he said, don't use meaningless repetition or meaningless words. It, it, you know, when you pray, don't keep on babbling like the play, uh, pagans do. You know, I have a problem when people say they've got a prayer language and they don't even understand it themselves. Is that really praying or is that just babbling? Jesus says that we need to make sure that we pray with simplicity, not repetition. Not meaningless words. You see, the heathen believed they could impress God with their great knowledge, and they could spend time and string together a number of words and prayer till ultimately God's going to have to pay attention because I'm going to use a word that God doesn't know. Hello? Somebody answer that. <laughs> That's God. <laughs> He's trying to give us that word we don't know. Thank you, Father. I appreciate that. Yeah. Right on cue. Right on cue. You see, in the simplicity of the moment, you, you know, but we can get real pagan in our praying. Next time you pray, listen to what you say. Listen to the vocabulary that you use. Uh, you know, don't pray like that, Jesus says. Don't do that because your Father knows what you need before you ask. I remember when our Rob went away to college over in Birmingham. And I think we got him a little Subaru, if I remember right. Uh, it was one of those that you really needed a phone with you as you drove it. And you always needed a quart of oil and some water uh, in a trunk. You, you all remember your first college cars? You spent more time sincerely praying over them than you have any other car. But... Uh, I remember him coming home one weekend, and so uh, I went out and looked his car over, you know, and checked it. I noticed that the tires were getting pretty thin on it. Kind of rubbed my hand across them and that kind of thing. Didn't say anything about it. So next morning as we were having breakfast, he began to talk about his car, and he began to convince me that he needed some new tires. So he was getting real intense and trying to sell me on the fact that we needed new tires, and so I just sat there and listened to it. And so finally I looked across the table, and I said, I know you need new tires. I went out and looked at your car. You know what happened? His whole vocabulary changed. It was kind of like, now my daddy knows about it. I don't have to worry about it. Right? Well, if he knows about it, why do I have to keep asking? Does God have a bad memory? I don't think so. He's even got people writing it down. Not people. He's got angels writing it down. You see, 
When we play, pray with simplicity, knowing that the Father tells us that he knows what we need before we ask in verse 8 of what we read. In other words, God's character it's God's character that determines how we pray. Therefore, in prayer, the chief thing is knowing what kind of God I'm praying to. And God says, if you ask anything in my name, Christ says, I will do it. So, we need to make sure that as we are approaching, we're in the process also of simplicity. And Jesus said, also when you pray, uh, you, you pray your Father or our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. This is the first time in the Bible that this phrase, our Father, is used in a way that's expressed to God. The first time. Jesus just always called him Father. Except for one time. And that was when he was on the cross. And he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So, when we approach the Father, we approach the Father with the phrase, our Father, because we're part of the greater family of believers. And since our Father already knows what we need, we got an inside track. Some people believe that if God already knows what we need, why do we have to ask Him? Isn't it fun if you've been a parent? to know that your children need something and you're going to get it for them, but you still wait for them to ask. My mom was notorious for that. Sweetest little lady, about the same size as my wife. But boy, could she demand your attention. Woo! Do, do you all remember whippings? She didn't whip, she whooped. There's a difference. You had to go select your own switch. If it didn't meet her specifications, you went back until you got one that met her specifications. I, I, I think my mom would have been a great cross-distance uh, uh, runner because when she would start to spank me with a, with a switch, she would take her left hand, take my left hand because she was right-handed, and she would start to switch, and I'd start to run. And we'd go in a circle. I'd try to get her dizzy. She wouldn't get dizzy. I'd try to pull away. She'd pull back. She was into weightlifting, I thought. you know. But she got my attention, and she got it in such a way because when it was all over, she'd say, now, come here. You'd come over, she'd put her arms around you. I'm sorry I had to do that, but it's because I love you too much not to do it. I used to wonder, what kind of love is this? But I understood it. When I became a parent, you see, it's recognizing in the sense that in the simplicity of our approach to the Lord, he says also to pray specifically. You know, bless me and mine, us four, no more. No, that's not going to get it done. We need to be specific in our approach to the Lord. He said, praying this way. He, he's told us the wrong way to pray. Now he shows us the right way. Simple praying is specific praying that's laid down here in this model prayer. But it's to guide us in our praying and our approach to the Lord. There are two facets of our praying and the simplicity of it is that prayer is an act more than an attitude. And prayer is asking. Prayer is a petition. 
our private worship should include some praise. Certainly it should. But during times of prayer, we should praise God. But prayer and praise are not the same thing. I believe the point is because the church seems to lately have rediscovered praise. We go to meetings quite often now and uh, teaching and singing and praising the Lord's going on. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, a speaker at a conference recently says, I think we're going to reach a point before too long as we mature in Christ that praise will replace prayer. I'm sorry if that guy's leading a congregation. Because, you see, we need to come to understand if it was necessary for Paul and Jesus Christ to pray, I think it's necessary for me to pray. And I think it's necessary enough to where the model of prayer is 100% petition. Even hallowed be thy name. He is saying we need to hallow or holy is the name of the Lord. The holiness of the person that we're talking to consists of the fact and concerns the glory of the Lord. When we pray that the name of God will be revered, hallowed be thy name. When we pray that the rule of God will be established, thy kingdom come. When we pray, we're to pray that the will of God will be done, thy will be done. The second part of the prayer, we're to pray for daily provisions. Give us this day our daily bread. We're to pray for daily pardon. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. We're to pray for daily protection. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Aren't you glad he gave us a model? And everything that we do around that is that we are involved in the prayer that God always answers. And when that prayer comes in this fashion, it's our intercession to our Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ because, folks, prayer is a family matter uh, family matter, because only the kids of God can pray our Father. And what a Father we have. What a Father. It's our right to pray as believers. We're not beggars coming to the back door. We can walk up to the golden streets of glory and sit at the Father's table. A fellow tells the story of a Roman emperor coming home. And as he was entering Rome, all of the triumph and the people by the thousands were lining the way and the soldiers were marching and the most elaborate chariots were being pulled. Down the way was the emperor coming in the magnificent chariot of Rome, lining the streets with the people. Emperor's coming. They were sounding the horns. And out of the crowd suddenly ran a little boy, middle schooler, nine, maybe 10, 11 years old. And he broke free and began running toward the emperor's chariot. One of the centurions dropped his spear and took off after the child. He didn't reach him, but the little boy jumped away and looked back over his shoulder and said, Soldier, you're emperor, my father. Makes a difference, doesn't it? Who's up there? Our Father. Our Father.